You're listening to Band Geek with Richie Castellano on the Riotcast Network. Let me know if everybody hears me okay and all that good stuff. I'll give it a second. Hello, Facebook. Hello, YouTube. I will do my best to monitor both. Uh, let me do some hellos really quick. Uh, so far, we got Randy Wilcox, uh, Albert Howard, James W., William Laird, and Boise Bronco uh, over on YouTube. Darren Mack or Mackie, uh, thanks for joining us uh, over here. On the Facebook, we have Ian Ramos, Kim Lee, uh, Timber, Kavassian, Richard. Bas- Richard, is it Bastable or Bastable? Uh, it's a. It's been bugging me. I need to know. Uh, Tom O'Hanlon, what's up, Tom? Uh, Del Clayman. I think you're scrolling up on me. Let me see if I can shrink this. Oh, look at that. Much better. Joel Canonico, Scott Bannister, Ron Duros. Oh, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Uh, Amory, Jarrett, Andrew Cole, Ethan Swales, Steve Johnson, David Stoller. How you doing, guys? I'm going to launch right into it because uh, basically I've been gone a lot and I'm trying to catch up on some of the questions I've been messaged and emailed, so I'm going to jump right into that right now. Oh, wait, I think I'm going to... You know what? Let me start with a little musical number. How about that? That's a better way to do this. You guys hear that? That sound okay? Can you hear that? Alright, cool. Alright, let's start this little thing. Oh, there you go. Let's get everybody feeling good.
That's enough of that. Uh, that was a little, just a four-chord jam thing that my buddy Ernie showed me. It's a good way to practice. And for those of you who want to know what that is, that's basically just A minor 7th, D 7th, G major 7th, E altered with some sort of stuff on it. And the idea behind that is you get to practice your, your two five ones if you're a jazz guy, and then you get to change it up with the five of two with the dominant sort of thing. So that's the idea there. Anyway, so on to the Q&A. Everything sound okay? If it's something sounds funky, let me know, and I'll try to fix it. All right, so welcome to, I guess this is a Band Geek live stream, so this is really cool today. Um, so I just got back from Europe with Blue Oyster Cult. It was a very long trip, and uh, there were a lot of questions in my inbox on Facebook, YouTube, and email, so I'm going to try to cover a lot of those questions today. So let me just hit it right here. Okay, first question. This is from Manny Alzaga. Did you guys record any shows in Europe? Well, I recorded them personally on my little Zoom recorder, and if you guys watched here, I posted a lot of the stuff on Facebook and some Instagram. Oh, hi, John Anthony DeMeo. What's up? Hey, Cheryl Peterson. Hi, everybody. Oh, we have another question here. How is it touring with the Queensryche guys? I'm going to get back to that. Oh, wow. Okay, a lot of questions right now. Okay, I'm going to try to get through these as quickly as possible. This is cool. All right, cool. So, back to Manny's question. Did we record any shows in Europe? Yes. I recorded them. I have this Zoom record. I'll show you right here. This is a Zoom Q2N. This is my new toy that I've been using. And um, it's a really cool, like, GoPro for musicians, I guess you would call it. And uh, I've recorded most of the shows, uh, just really for my own archives. I don't think I'm going to be posting anything, because I don't think that would be uh, kosher. But, you know, for me to have an archive of it in the whole trip is really cool. And I'm posting a couple little things to show people. Um, we did record the whole... London show. We played um, Indigo at the O2 in London, and we recorded that one, professionally recorded, because we did the entire first Blue Oyster Cult album, like the whole thing in its entirety, and that was recorded. Uh, I'm not sure what the deal is with the release date on that, uh, but that was recorded. So I hope that answers Manny's question. Okay, let's go to a live question now. Uh, what was it like playing with Queensryche? Um, who asked that question? Oh, Joe Sharp. Okay. Uh, how was it touring with the Queensryche guys? It was really cool. One of the coolest moments of that whole thing is we were playing this club uh, called the Z7 Club in Switzerland, which is a really cool place. It's a really cool club, and the staff there is very nice. And Queensryche was doing their... Uh, they were doing their sound check, and there was nobody in the room except for me. So I was sitting down in the, an empty venue watching Queensryche play I Don't Believe in Love, which is my favorite Queensryche song, and that was really awesome. And all those guys were really nice. Um, I got to hang out with all of them. Uh, the really interesting thing that I found about that is 
I was super excited to meet them, and they were super excited to meet uh, Don and Eric because they're huge Blue Oyster Cult fans. And that was something I noticed quite a bit on this tour. Uh, we'd be playing a lot of these really heavy metal festivals, uh, bands way heavier than us, um, and you sort of like scratch your head saying, like, man, this kind of seems odd that we're on this bill. But then, like, we'd be sitting and catering, eating dinner, and all of these bands, these really hard metal bands, would come up to Buck and Eric and say, oh, my God, we're really influenced by you guys. You know, we, we listened to all your records when we were starting out. And that was really cool to see, you know, the uh, younger or the younger generation of metal bands come and do the We're Not Worthy. And that's when it sort of clicked to me because, you know, at first I was like, why are we on these metal bills? But then I got it that this is part of the lineage of this kind of music. And it's I guess that's why Blue Oyster Cult gets that sort of proto-metal label, if that's a thing. So, yeah, uh, the Queensryche guys were awesome. We did a few gigs with them and uh, really got to know them. Uh, the funny thing about that is their bass player... Um, he, he had, he, he told me, I'm going to write your set. And every, every gig we did, he goes, okay, tonight I want to hear, uh, Hot Rails to Hell. I want to hear Stairway to the Stars. And he had like a whole set list that he would write. And, you know, and he, he stumped us a few times. So let's go back to, uh, that was that question. So thank you for that. Let's go back to another, uh, question here that I have written down. And this is from Robbie Lundgren. How many songs does BOC have to select from in making a set list? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, it's been growing steadily, especially since we did last year. We did the whole Agents of Fortune album. And this year we did the whole first album. Uh, so the, the list has grown quite a bit. And, and Eric really threw in a lot of curveballs for us, um, especially in, in Scotland. Uh, I don't know why in particular it was that gig. You'll have to ask him. But the, uh, yeah, the I mean, in that gig, that was the only time on the on the tour, actually in a few months, that we did Joan Crawford. And I posted that little video clip. And the, the fear and panic you see in that video is real because we haven't done that in a while. So that was, that was, that was a trip. And then astronomy um, just for that gig. And, yeah, so there's quite a few. If I had to guess, I'd say maybe... 40 tunes or 50 tunes, it's, I have to sit down and count it, but, um, okay, favorite gig or crowd in, uh, in Europe, that's from Robert Getz, and, uh, the answer to that, again, is Scotland, that was my favorite gig, um, it was just, it was fun, and the set list was cool, and I thought everybody played really well, it was, that was my favorite gig of the tour, hands down, okay, uh, I'll go back to another uh, question from here. So, um, Denny Ablack, I hope I'm saying that right. I apologize if I'm butchering that. He wants to know any new song recordings. Um, so, I guess I can answer that in two ways because uh, in ter- on the Blue Oyster Cult front, I'm not sure because I'm not really involved in that sort of thing. Um, the last live stream we did, I did it with Eric Bloom, and if you guys watched that, he kind of dropped a bomb on everybody saying that they're in talks to do a new album, and uh, that's the last I've heard of it because, uh, quite frankly, we've been working too hard. We've been, it's, it's been, this has been a very crazy summer for us, so uh, we've been just concentrating on doing the gigs and, and making those as best as we can and getting the first album uh, material ready, and so we haven't really talked about that, but... 
I got very excited when I heard that news. I was probably as excited as some of you guys for that because, um, as you know, I've, I've never recorded an album with these guys. So I might have gotten a little uh, crazy. And as soon as I heard that, I, I wrote like eight songs. And I showed, I, I showed them to Eric and I was like... <laughs> I think he was like, settle down, Beavis. But uh, yeah, so I, I'm very excited about it. I hope it happens, and uh, I don't really know anything, but I've been trying to write stuff. It would be great to uh, contribute to that if possible. Uh, but I also write other things, like my, my own stuff. Um, I actually have enough material right now for three albums worth of music. I'm just trying to decide what I want to do, because I was sort of... Um, the last album I did was Morning Starlet and I was I'm very proud of that album but you know it's it's difficult and the whole selling CDs or selling downloads it's not very profitable and you can't really tell if people are digging it so I was sort of turned off by the whole thing and thought like yeah hey, why am I going to do this anymore but um what changed that for me was playing with Kasim Sultan uh Andy Danny and myself we got to be Kasim's backup band over our little uh, spring break there and just to see how much work he put into doing his original thing and you know we played some nice venues but there were small venues too and how you know Kasim really put his all into that and tried to make sure it was good and really had integrity and and had to just keep creating as an artist that was really inspiring to me so um I th- I think I am going to make another album of some kind I'm just playing around with what it's going to be because I have two sort of ideas right now. I have I have enough material to do another like sort of poppy um power pop two-part invention kind of thing like I did with Andy Escalise and I also have a lot of stuff saved up for like this more like heady rock concept album thing which is more appealing to me but is going to be harder. So I definitely want to do something and Every time I get some downtime, I'm working on it. I'm writing music on planes. I'm, 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 I'm working on it. I'm trying. So thank you for that question, Denny. Let's go over to YouTube and see if there's anything there. Uh, okay. I think I answered that. Okay. Uh, here we go. Here's a question from Guitar Madness. Uh, do you use any tube amps? Uh, I sure do. I have... Uh, in that room over there, which is my garage, I have a rack full of tube amps. I have um, I, I was very, I'm very fond of VHT amps, which are now Fryette, and um, Angle amps. I love those. I have uh, I have an Angle Steve Morse head, which I love, and um, I, I used to use it a lot before I got the Helix. And you know, occasionally, if I'm doing a recording for someone and they would prefer to have a real amp mic'd up, that's what I'll go get. Um, and I also have a VHT little Pitbull combo that's like the greatest go-to-a-bar gig. It's 30 watts. Um, yeah, it's a Pitbull, like, special 30 or something like that. It's two channels. It's amazing sounding. It, it's just, it's ridiculous. And I also have, right here in my studio rack, um, if I want a different sort of color than the Helix, I have a VHT GP3, which is a tube preamp. Uh, and I have that going into a two-notes torpedo cab pedal uh, with an impulse response that I made myself actually in my bathroom over there. I, I mic'd up a VHT cabinet with a 57, and I made my own little um, 
uh, whatever they call it, the torpedo impulse response. I don't, I don't know what the exact term is. So, um, okay, let's see. Uh, here's another question from YouTube. Uh, am I using the uh, JTV, the, that's the, uh, the Variax guitar, for live gigs? I'm not using the JTV, which is somewhere around here, uh, but I am using the Variax Standard, which is actually the cheaper version of that, and I like that guitar better as a guitar. I think it just feels better. It's probably because the neck profile is a little uh, smaller, and I have small hands. And uh, also, uh, I changed the pickups in there. I have another video on that that you could check out. I put DiMarzio's in there, and it's a really cool guitar. So we've been bringing that out, and um, we use it on a song called The Vigil, uh, which has acoustic guitar, and I have to switch from acoustic and electric, and then I have a drop D thing, and... The Variax is perfect for that, and uh, every time I play that, Buck gives me like he 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 yells in my ear, goes, "That sounds beautiful, man!" And uh, they want to use it more. They like so. I think uh, if there was, you know, an opportunity to use more acoustic sounds or other kinds, because the Variax doesn't do only acoustic and electric. It does, you know, banjos, sitars, twelve strings, all this crazy stuff. So um, that yeah. So I, I I am using the Variax on tour now. Uh, it's great, and uh, in fact. Our first gig of the European run, uh, our gear didn't make it, and I happened to have my Variax with me. I had it carried on the plane, and I ended up using that for the whole first gig. I did the, the entire gig on that thing. Uh, magnetics and, and Variax pickups, switching back and forth, and it worked brilliantly. So thank you for that question, Guitar Badness. So back to a, uh, another question here. Um, from Ross Tudill, uh, thoughts on the UK leg of the tour? Was it enjoyable? Absolutely. Um, like I said, I loved uh, I loved Glasgow. I loved uh, Nottingham, uh, Newcastle, uh, Manchester. All those gigs were awesome. But the the cool thing is, this is the first time I got to spend any time in the actual cities uh, aside from London because I've been to London a bunch of times and, and London's beautiful. But uh, you know, Danny and I made it a point to get out, uh, I'm talking about Danny Miranda, we made it a point to get out, no matter how tired we were, every day and go exploring the local towns. And even if we weren't staying in the city center, we would take a, an Uber or a taxi and just get there. And uh, I loved that. And I really liked checking out Nottingham. There was a cool uh, street market where I got some stuff for uh, for my wife. And um, we got to check out the castle. And we went to this really old pub which is supposedly the oldest inn in England which was awesome so I really enjoyed that um, here's another question this one's from Steve Hammond which did I learn to play first guitar or piano I learned how to play guitar first and um, I never learned how to play piano uh, and you know I, I I can play enough piano to, to do what I have to do and I'm I'm getting I'm getting better at it uh, but any like real piano player who watches me knows that I'm I'm that it's not my main instrument but I I enjoy playing it and I like the challenge of playing some of those tunes um one uh, here's a, a really funny story that uh somebody made me think about the other day um we were doing our 40th anniversary show at the Best Buy Theater which I don't know if it's now the Best Buy Theater or the PlayStation Theater uh and that was the gig where we had Alan, which is the, this is the last time Alan ever played with us before he passed away. And um, I told Alan, you know, I was just complimenting him on his keyboard parts because of how difficult I found them to learn and to play. And I told him, I said, you know, I had to learn that entire Teen Archer keyboard solo and it was a bitch. It was a pain in the ass. And, and I learned it note for note. 
And he goes, why'd you do that? I said, well, you know, Buck asked me to learn it note for note. He really wanted it. And then Alan went to Buck and said, why are you torturing the kid? <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. But because, uh, you know, it's probably something he improvised once in the studio. And here I am like an idiot trying to get every little nuance and, and replay the thing. And, and in my opinion, that's a very hard solo to play the uh, Teen Archer solo. So let's see. We have some more uh, questions here. Uh, Tom O'Hanlon. Tom, I love you, man. You know that. Uh, Tom said, did you find it difficult jumping from guitar to lead guitar uh, to keyboards when playing with BOC? Um, like, um, I, I think you're talking about in the context of a gig, or do, you, or do you mean from bass guitar? Well, it's a little tricky sometimes when... Uh, the only time it's really difficult is when I have to jump to a keyboard song where there's a lot of changes, where I have to change a lot of sounds and do a lot of setting adjustments. That's the only time. But usually um, the guys are good about giving me enough time to make my changes before I have to jump into that. Let's take some more uh, Facebook questions. Let's see what else we got here. Okay. Any surprises for Columbus Day Saturday? Um, uh, like I said, that's a uh, that's an Eric question. Um, another question I got here, which is this is sort of like the same question. Uh, this is a question from Jeff Cook. Uh, are you guys playing the first BOC album in its entirety at the upcoming U.S. shows as well? Well, you know, the cop out answer to that is that's an Eric question, but uh, I can tell you that. The that that's like a really special set. Um, and again, if, for those of you just joining us, we we did a few gigs recently where we played the entire first Blue Oyster Cult album, the debut album. And um, I can tell you that that's a special kind of thing because you really need a you really need an audience of hardcore fans that will appreciate that because uh, most of our summer gigs are going to be outdoor festivals. And and things like that. So um, if you're in a festival crowd and you're playing to people with beach chairs and hot dogs and ribs, uh, and you and you launch it to beautiful as a foot, uh, they'll they probably won't go over too well, and you might lose the crowd. But um, yeah, so who knows if it's? I mean, we know it now. So if if there's a if there's a special like gig where it seems like there's a lot of hardcore people in the audience, then you never know. Any, anything's possible. But I think we tried to make it. Uh, a special thing just for the the European run because we don't get there too often. But like I said, anything can happen. So I'm going to go take another one of these questions here. Uh, from Joe Joe Creel. Did you... Um, okay, I posted a... We got to see Deep Purple play. Our last gig was at a festival in Barcelona and we opened for Deep Purple. And we've done that a few times. And... Um, and I have a picture of me with Steve Morse. Um, and the question from Joe Creel is, did you ask Steve Morse to come on an episode of Band Geek? Um, now, that might seem like a ridiculous question, but the answer is yes, I did. Uh, I really tried very hard early on to get Steve Morse on the, the podcast. There was a gig we were playing where we were opening for Deep Purple, and I figured in my mind that, oh, like maybe I can grab Steve Morse in the dressing room for like 20 minutes and do a little podcast a little quick interview with him, and I, I, you know, tried to set it up for weeks, 
and I reached out to his manager and uh, and I tried to get it happening through Ernie Ball and it almost happened but it fell apart at the end and I was very uh, I, I was crushed but I did I did try to do that um, and uh, while we're on the Deep Purple subject here uh, Lee Franklin asked did you get to meet all of Deep Purple um, I don't think I've met. <clears throat> I, I don't think I met uh, the Ians, the drummer or the bass player. Um, I'm sorry, the drummer or the singer. Um, but I have met the rest of them. Um, obviously, Steve Morse, who I'm a huge fan of, so I've, I've sort of stalked him a few times. Um, and Roger Glover is a sweetheart. Really, really cool guy. And um, I'm, I'm in love with Don Airy. I have a huge, huge man crush on Don, Don Airy. I can watch that guy play for hours. And he's so awesome. And he... <clears throat> Is a really funny thing that happened in the last gig because he knows that I'm the keyboard player for BOC. Every time he did something awesome, he'd be playing and he would look over like, eh, eh. Every time he did something slick, he would look at me and, and smile. It was awesome. It was like he was, you know, doing the gig, but I was getting a private show, sort of. Um, <clears throat> one of the funny, uh, ter- not funny, but terrifying stories I have about that is one of those gigs where we opened for uh, for Deep Purple. We were sound checking, I think, with Bucks Boogie. Now, uh, for me, Bucks Boogie is an is an organ song. Uh, can you hear this? Uh, so it's that's an organ song for me, and um, we're sound checking that. And Don Airy, he just like sits on the side of the stage. Right next to me, not right next to me, but maybe like twenty feet away from me, just sitting down watching. And I have to play. There's like a little organ break there. Now Don Airy is an amazing organ player, and now I have to play my stupid bullshit in front of Don Airy, and I was just terrified. But he was cool. Um, I don't think I screwed up too badly, but that was, you know, <laughs> that was one of those moments that you don't want to find yourself in. But it was it was fun anyway. Um, all right, let's. Uh, Let's head to uh, YouTube for another question here. Okay, Jerry Castaldo has a question on YouTube. Um, is all the equipment rented at each venue, or are there, or do you have a tractor trailer lugging around your equipment? Okay, um, that's a good question, Jerry. And I'm gonna. It, there's a few different answers for it. When we play locally, like within driving distance from the New York area where we live, we generally rent uh, a like a tractor trailer and. Uh, not a tractor trailer, but like a, a rental truck, and we'll have all of our own backline. Uh, for most of the flyout dates, it's rented for each venue, and um, like a backline company will provide it. Uh, for Europe, we did a little bit of both. For Europe, we had actually for Europe, our gear didn't even make it with us. There was a big mix-up, and our gear didn't show up at the airport, which is really horrible. Uh, but luckily, because I had a local gig. Like the day before we went to Europe, I had my Helix and my Variax with me, and I actually carried them on the plane. So I was able to do the first gig on my gear, but the rest of the guys had to use rented uh, SGs and Les Pauls and stuff. Um, but for some of those gigs, we used rented backline. But for all the the whole like France, uh, Germany, the UK, all those dates where we were on the ground, we had a trailer with one set of rented gear. So it, it was still rented, but it was the same thing every night, which was which was cool because, oh my god, I just realized I left my freaking memory card in the last keyboard. Damn it. Okay, anyway. 
I'll have to call. I'll have to call um, Andy and see if he got that. I can't believe I. Uh, all right. Anyway, brain fart. So, anywho, okay. That, so that's the answer to that question. Thank you for that question, Jerry. Uh, let's head over to Facebook and see uh, if there are any more questions here. Jared just said, why didn't you get taken in Europe so I could save you with my particular set of skills? <laughs> it's very good. Very, very good. Okay. Um, <laughs> who asked this? Um, wait a second. I just saw a funny question, but I, I, Facebook keeps scrolling up. Okay, Lee Franklin wants to know if I actually have any, any living space. I do. I don't live in this room. I, there's a whole house upstairs with, um, you know, a bed and a couch. So don't worry about that. Okay. Uh, back to these questions here. From L- Rosalind Judd Murray. What goes through your mind when you see that many people at a festival? Um, the festivals... The 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 festivals are are are, are weird because a lot of the time people are so burnt out from seeing music all the time that it's like you know there it, it's just it's like a, a weird thing and and also there's just so many people and usually with the festivals we don't get sound checked so we're worried about other things the fest the festivals aren't as nerve wracking as the small club gigs where where someone's right in front of your face and can see everything you're doing. With the festival, it's sort of like, you know, there's a, no one's right. It's not as intimate and not as intimidating. So the big, the big crowd gigs aren't, you know, aren't that crazy. And also, a lot of the times in the festivals, some people aren't there to see you. They're just there to hang and have a good time. Whereas at like these small club gigs, the people are there to see you and pay attention to every little thing you're doing. So that, that's that. Thank you for that question. Um, and here's another festival question from Laura Sharp. Um, I think I posted a video from one of the, from the last festival in Barcelona, uh, and, and the question was I'm paraphrasing some of these questions to make it work for this, but um, are there two stages or more at the big festivals? Um, the way most of these festivals did it is the two there are two main stages uh, right next to each other, and while one band is playing, the next band is sound checking, and while we're on stage. You know, you, the people in the audience might not be able to hear it because it's not going to the PA, but we can actually hear them sound checking. We can hear like some guy playing drums, not with our song while we're playing. Um, so that's why they have it. They sort of A, B it. And then there are some other, you know, stages scattered throughout. Hellfest was cool like that. But um, Hellfest, we were in this sort of shed stage this time, which actually worked out a lot better for us because the first time we were on the main stage and it was it was a weird gig. And then this time we were in that like, little shed area um and it was packed in and people were going nuts it was a really cool gig okay so let's go over to youtube again uh the shadow walker wants to know uh, is boc the biggest band i've played with yes that B- i joined blue oyster cult when i was 24 years old and i and i'm 37 now and it's this is the this is still, you know, the gig I have. So, yes, that's the answer to that question. Uh, thank you for that. And um, let's see. Any more? No, let's go over to Facebook. A question about the DirecTV audience show. How many takes? I noticed one song you were on guitar and keys at different times, so I'm guessing it wasn't live. 
Um, no, it, it was live. I think there was one song we did two takes of because Albert broke a string or something, or so, like something something happened. And then on, and then we did. I think we did a few Reapers because they they had this like lighting rig behind us that was moving, and they had to get that right for the the cameras. But but most of most of of that that show. I would say 90% of that was just, you know, the one performance of the show. We didn't do multiple uh, versions of the songs. So, yeah, it was, I think it was just one song where something went wrong. We had to start it again. Uh, if, I'm, if someone was there and I'm wrong, correct me. But I'm pretty sure we just pretty much did it straight through with the exception of Reaper uh, uh, because they had other things planned for that song. Okay, I'm going to go back to my list here. All right, here's one about the first album, the first Blue Oyster Cult album. Uh, In Last Days of May, did you make a conscious decision not to do the call-and-response guitar lines between vocals on the verses? And this is from Jeff Zittrain. Thank you, Jeff. Um, You know, we talked about that, and because we were... All right, when we were rehearsing, we took a few days to rehearse the whole first album, and we... Our first plan was to try to do it exactly like the record. And it didn't, it, I mean, it sounded fine, but the thing about that is the, being a debut album and they, the, and being, and, and considering the fact that they played these songs over and over again, the arrangements sort of morphed over time into something else. So, uh, and in one case, there's a song called I'm on the lamb, but I ain't no sheep. And that actually morphed, morphed into an entirely different song that showed up on a later album called uh, "The Red and the Black." But a lot of those tunes, like we, well, not we, but they, over the years, kind of added to and, and changed. And it just felt strange to go back to the original versions when they've tweaked them already uh, and optimized them for a live crowd. So um, we did toy with. Doing the 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 thing where I played the little licks in between, and but then we just ultimately decided to go back to the the regular way we play it because it's just it just works better. Um, and there's another question about that particular song, and it's a musical question. Um, and someone wants to, uh, Tony Rodriguez wants to know: Is there harmonic minor in My Last Days of May lead? Uh, good ears, Tony. Yes, there is. And um, let me take a second to do a little music uh, break here. So. Um, for the non-musical, I'll explain what that question means. Um, so everybody knows a major scale, you know, the do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, right? Um, now a minor scale, it's like the same kind of thing, just a few notes are flatted. But this is what a minor scale sounds like. Let me move my mic out of the way here. Sorry about that. So... So there's your minor scale. Uh, now, in the case of Then Came the Last Days of May, uh, the, we do it in B minor. The solo section is B minor, A, G, F sharp. Okay, so here's the deal. Let me see if I can do this with my keyboard here. Okay. So there's your B minor chord, right? That works fine. 
Here's your A chord. No problem. Here's your G chord. And that's fine. And here's your F sharp chord. Okay, now that that note there that's rubbing, that's an A note. And the reason it's rubbing, and now it's not necessarily wrong. It's okay to play that because, um, you know, let me just record this really quick. Give me a second. And you know what? I'll even show you guys what I'm doing. How about that? All right, so I'll open up Pro Tools here. Look at this. All right. What tempo is that? Like, like 140 maybe? Let's try 160. Okay. So I'm going to lay this down real quick. Good. Oops. Throw a little quantize on there. Um. What the hell happened there? Hold on. Sorry about that. There we go. That's enough to start with. Alright. So we have our chords going. So no problem. So that sounds okay to me. That's not necessarily a problem. And that's that A note, which is fine. But personally, I like to I like to alter the scale. I like to make it so instead of playing that A note over this chord, I like to sharp that note to an A sharp to make it fit the chord, which is a you know that note is in that chord. So when you take a B minor scale and you sharp the A, it turns into a B harmonic scale, a harmonic minor scale. So that sounds like this. Sorry. It's got a cool sound to it. So um, in my mind, I'm usually changing with the chord. So here's how it works. I'll let it play one more time. Okay. Okay. 
here's another thing that you can take into consideration with that. Um, you don't have to play only harmonic minor on the F sharp chord because now if we do it the other way, check this out. Here's a harmonic minor scale on all those chords. So harmonic minor works fine on the B minor chord. So now we go on to the A. Okay, maybe not that one. The A chord is has an A in it, obviously, so you might want to avoid that note on that chord. Now to the G. That's fine. And back to the F sharp. Obviously, that works. So a lot of times I will like bleed over with harmonic minor stuff, and I'll show you what that sounds like. On that chord, I make sure I'm on the natural minor. Now, you don't have to do that, because I can just play natural minor. Or blues. So that's what that's what I'm thinking about while I'm playing that solo. I hope that was uh hope that was interesting for some people. <laughs> okay, um let's do another YouTube thing. Let's see if there's any more YouTube questions. Um Okay, my name is Gar. Uh Gar Mistra. Hi. Uh what what's the kind of music your your fans uh, might be surprised to hear that you like to listen to and or play. Um, I, I okay. I love. I mean, I don't know if this is a secret, but I love gypsy jazz. Uh, I play it poorly, uh, but I really like it. I love listening to it. Uh, obviously, Django Reinhardt is the master of that, uh, and I love uh, another guitar player. I really love is Stockolo Rosenberg, um, who. If you don't know who he is, just go check him out. He's a badass. So thank you for that question, Gar. That was a very good question. Um, okay. Here is a uh, here are a couple equipment qu- uh, questions. This one's from Phil Smith. Which modelers are you seeing the most of on tour? Um, I would have to say the... we On this particular tour, we saw mostly Kempers. Um and we saw a few axe effects, and I believe I was the only person to use the Helix, um, which is odd to me because I'm, I'm such a huge Helix fan. I love it. But, um, yeah, mostly the Kempers. And I think, the re- like, for example, all the Queensryche guys were using Kempers. Um, we played a gig with... What was the name of that band? I'm drawing a blank now. Anyway, well, there was another band. There were a few bands using Kempers, and I think the reason for that is the Kemper is very good in the fact that you can profile, which pretty much means capture the sound of your amp and bring it with you, and that's very appealing. Now, whether that's you know better than an Axe Effects or a Helix, that's I guess that's up to personal preference or uh, marketing, uh, but. A lot of guys use that, and it was just like, you know, I, it's just like I have 
my amp. I mean, I was talking to Michael Wilton from Queensryche about it, and he was like, he goes, this is the amp I would use on tour. I profiled it. It's like having, it's just like having it with me. So that was the first one. Um, then Will, Will Ross asked me, have I had any issues taking the Helix on flights? Nope, not at all. I mean, the Helix has been holding up really, really well. Um, the only problem I've had with it is um, an occasional squeak in the pedal, the uh, the controller pedal, which in no way affects the performance of the unit. It still works fine. Uh, but when I had some downtime, Line 6 took care of that for me. Their customer service is phenomenal. So there you go. Um, you know we're, We love Line 6 here. Shout out to Audio-Technica also. I'm, I use an Audio-Technica microphone and an Audio-Technica wireless pack with, with the band. So thank you guys for that. Uh, also... I should say this right now. If you would like to contribute to the show and you'd like to see more stuff like this, please use the link. It's um, it's listed here. It's not a clickable link. Excuse me. It's um, it's just go to richiecastellano.com slash tip jar. You go, you go to that in your browser, and then it brings you to a Streamlabs uh, PayPal form. So we really, we really appreciate you guys doing that. Um, this week's contributors that I want to thank are Rob Crossland and Tom O'Hanlon. Thank you guys very much. We really appreciate what you've been doing. Uh, if you shop on Amazon, you can use our Amazon link. And to find that, you just go to riotcast.com slash bandgeek. There's an Amazon banner at the top of the page. And you click there before you do any of your shopping. And a small percentage of your purchase goes to supporting our show. And it doesn't cost you anything extra. So we really appreciate everybody who's been who's been helping us out with that. So that's, that's really great. Um, okay, so I think we got... Okay, I think I got some of the. All right, let's see. If there's another Facebook question here. I haven't done that in a while. Okay, uh, Derek Spence would like to know what I do in my free time. Uh, what I do in my free time, uh, besides you know doing the podcast, uh, I guess that's not free time anymore. That's still like work related. But um, you know, when I'm not working on this or original music, I uh, build these. Uh, this is my hobby, and uh, this is a uh, this is a lightsaber. This is my stupid thing that I do, and uh, basically I buy them empty, and I put electronics in them. I put speakers, I put LEDs in there. Um, this one is, I just see how I just happen to have this you know, sitting here. Um, I'm like always like fidgeting with these at home, but uh, this one I have. This is an Obi Wan Kenobi episode three lightsaber, so I have him in there. Hello there. And there's like a stick that goes in here, a plastic polycarbonate tube, and you beat your friends with it. It's really fun. So yeah, thank you for that question. And yeah, um, you know, I, I like sci-fi, comic books. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a I'm a geek. I like all this stuff. So I love going to the movies. I can't wait to see Spider-Man. So all that good stuff. Thank you for the question. Uh, going to another question. Now this one's from YouTube. Uh, this is a technical question, and I'll try not to bore anybody with this. Um, is there a way? of getting rid of the humming noise when using the four-cable method with the Helix, and that's from uh, Stiliano Band. All right, so this is what you need. Don't drop it, though. This is a ground lift, and uh, this is something that every musician should keep at least a few of in their gig bag. You should have this in your wire bag, in your gig bag, in your backpack, in your suitcase. I have these everywhere. I have these like Cluzo has weapons in his apartment. That's how many of these I have. Um... 
And you need multiples of these because sometimes you might need one of these on the Helix. Sometimes you might need it on your amp. Sometimes you might need it on both. We, um, with with the band and different types of power that we encounter on the road, uh, sometimes it's fine. Like sometimes I'll just plug in to, uh, and this, no, this is actually going to answer another question that I have here. Okay, so I'm going to answer two questions at once. Another question from Mil, uh, Midgelade. Sorry, I don't know if I'm pronouncing your name right. Um, what do you do when you play with BOC and using the Helix? Do you go directly to the front of the house with a monitor, or do you use the four-cable method and an amp? Okay, so that's the second time I said four-cable method. I might as well explain what that means really quick. Again, this is technical talk, and I apologize to anyone who's completely bored by this. But... Um, Four cable method. Okay, so if you have a device like a Helix or any of these like effects processor things, uh, what four cable method allows you to do is you can take your real amp, your tube amp that you love, whatever it is, like your, say you have a commercial or something, and you love the way this amp sounds, but you want to <clears throat> you want to incorporate that amp into the architecture of your digital pedal thing. Like in my case, it would be the Helix. Um, so in that case, what you can actually do is use a four-cable method, and and you're actually taking the preamp section from that beautiful tube amp that you have, and you're finding a way to insert it into the chain of your digital device so you can place effects before it, like, say, you want to use a wah-wah that goes before it, and def- effects after it, like a delay or a reverb, and that's a very handy thing to do, and a lot of guys do that. Um, I don't do it because, um, for me, easiness and um, consistency are key. Uh, especially, and 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 my and my philosophy on that was reaffirmed on this European tour because there were a lot of these festivals where we got no sound check, so I didn't have time to tweak an amp and worry about where the mic placement was. It was grab it and growl was what they call it, and having the Helix with all my presets in there directly into my ears was perfect. I just plugged in and I was ready to play. That is priceless. That is clutch in those sorts of situations. Um, and that's why so many of those bands who do those type of gigs, that's why they were using those uh, so frequently. So I so I don't use it. I do have a monitor because the first time I brought back the Helix, now the Helix is not just an effects processor, it also does it has all the amp sounds, it has everything I need in there. I just plug my guitar into it and I'm done. But the first time I used it, I didn't have any stage volume. I went right to the PA, and it was fine for me because I had it in my in-ear monitors. But um, Eric actually freaked out because he said it sounded like I wasn't playing because he didn't wouldn't hear me. He couldn't hear me at all. So what I ended up doing is we rent a um, like a 112 um, powered speaker, usually a QSC K12, and I have a separate feed with a separate EQ from the Helix that goes into that, and I can tweak that for the room a little bit, and that's just for the stage and a little bit of feedback. Uh, And this system is really great, and I can't recommend it enough to people who do these types of gigs. Uh, But now, the other question uh, from uh, Stiliano Band uh, is, how do you get rid of that hum? Now, okay, in my case, when I'm using the Helix with... with, Oh, thank you very much. uh, Who was that? Oh, thank you very much, Dyke. Appreciate it. Awesome. Um, 
so the question they were asking is about the hum. Now, when we when we do my simple setup with just the helix and the amp, sometimes it works. You plug it in, there's no hum. But other times, there's a hum from somewhere. So, um, oh, that was from uh, oh David, David Steichleather. Thank you very much, David. Appreciate it. Um, so sometimes we have to put the ground lift on the helix, and that solves it. Sometimes the ground lift goes on the uh, the monitor, and that solves it. Sometimes we use two ground lifts on both. Sometimes you have to make sure they're plugged into the same power. Sometimes they got to be in separate power. It really depends on your situation. We're, we're constantly experimenting with these uh, and trying to get the least amount of hum. There are some situations, uh, some venues, where the power is just weird, and there's going to be hum no matter what. And you would think, and, and for example, in those situations, we'll unplug my monitor, uh, even unplug it from power, unplug the cables, and it still hums. So, in that case, you think, you know, why, why is the Helix humming? It's just, there are certain venues where you're going to get hum no matter what because of the power, and there's nothing you can do about it. But, um, again, ground lifts, every musician, go buy these. You can get them at Target, or, you know, or, or Radio Shack, or Amazon, or whatever. Just, just get them. Get a bunch of them and put them everywhere. So, let's answer, let's see if there's any more YouTube questions. Oh, here we go. Uh, here's a. This is cool. This is a recommendation from James W. Thank you for this, James. Um, don't he, he recommends not using a ground lift, but getting Hum X, which is like a hum eliminator uh, piece of hardware. So if you're running into that problem, um, check out what James said. He said he's not associated with them, but it solved all of his Helix Hum problems. Thank you very much for that, James. That's something cool to check out. Um, okay. Oh, John Johnston. Okay, that's a cool question. Have I got any word if Band Geeks will get a chance to play on Rock Legends 6? You know what? I I think it's a great idea. I don't know if we're going to get to play, but what my my ideal plan for that would be is I'm going to I already spoke with Eric about this and he said he would help me set it up. Um the the plan is this. Now, I don't know what's going to happen cuz if you obviously you've been to the Rock Legends cruise and and there's a lot of stuff going on, but my idea would be for them to hopefully find a space for me where I can show up with my little Zoom recorder and maybe an acoustic guitar or something and just have a hang. And anybody who wants to come by can be on the podcast. And anybody, if, like if you know, anybody wants to come and, and and be part of it and be in the audience, and you know, any, I'm sure I'll be there and I'll get anyone else who wants to join the band and we can play some tunes, probably acoustic, you know, just to keep it low maintenance. Uh, and just so we can record it and, and you know video record it, uh, I'm definitely into doing that. Um, you just reminded me that I have to look into it. It's just we've been so, I've been so busy doing these these you know these gigs because we're so slammed right now. I haven't even thought about that. But thank you for reminding me, John. That's a great idea. Uh, so let's take another question here. Uh, this one is from Spec, uh, and the question is: Which drum software do you use? Uh, I have a few. Um, I think he's referring to the Band Geek videos. Uh, the drum software I use prim- primarily, uh, yeah, we have the, the Roland TD-11 drum set back there. Uh, sometimes we'll use the, the, the sounds that are built into that. Usually not because it only provides a, it only produces a stereo signal, which I can't mix later on. But uh, what I'll do is I record the MIDI information from that, and I'll play it through two programs. One is called BFD. Uh, BFD3 is what I use, and I have like a custom kit in there that I made in... Uh, most of the time, it's this one kit that I made, which is mostly like a DW kit with 
um, uh, Ludwig snare and you know Zildjian cymbals. That's the kit I usually use in there. Uh, but for example, like when we did the Heart of the Sunrise video, I will custom make a video, uh, I mean a, a drum kit, uh, to try to get it to sound as close as I can to the original recording. And that's a big part of it because if your drums sound close, the recording will sound close. So that so that's that's one thing I use. The other one I use is something called it's in it's in the um, Native Instruments Contact Player. It's called Abbey Road Drums, and they have the different decades: the '60s, '70s, '80s, and modern. Uh, and there's two kits in each of them. And that's a really cool plugin, and it's stupidly easy to use. It has different, you know, style presets. So it's either BFD or Abbey Road drums. Those are the two that you're hearing most of the time. Um, here's one from Axman14. Which Variax cable do you use? I use the um, I use the regular Line Six one. Uh, I, I got this from Line Six. Uh, it's a very beefy cable. But if you don't have this for the Variax, uh, this is primarily an Ethernet cable. That's you know that's all it is. Let me see if you can see this. Yeah, see it. It's just an Ethernet cable in this uh, cool shell that keeps it protected. But yeah, that's what I'm using. I'm using the regular um, Line Six Variax cable. Thank you for that, Axeman. Okay, uh, let's head back to Facebook here. Okay, here's one from my buddy Josh Haynes. Hi, Josh. Uh, have you tried using the Archetype model on the Helix on BOC shows? Actually, I did. Um, now, here, here's the model he's talking about. This is um, the Archetype is uh, an amp setting inside the Helix that sounds freaking awesome. So. <laughs> Whoops. Who is that? Wait a second. Oh, thank you, Cheryl. Thank you very much. Appreciate that, Cheryl. So here's the archetype. Which sounds amazing. Um, this is a telly. This has low output. And um, with this particular amp the, and, and this guitar combination, it sounds phenomenal. Um on the road, I use the Axis, and it doesn't sound that great with the Axis for some reason. Um, when I do use the Variax, which isn't quite as hot as the Axis, the Archetype sounds really good. But um, for the Axis, I mainly use the uh, Angle Meteor. But, you know, the I love the Archetype, but not really for, for BOC. It's, it's a little too much. So thank you for that, Josh. Let's uh, take another Facebook question. Thank you guys very much for joining me and asking your questions. I really appreciate it. Oh, great question. AJ Erico, are there any new Tiger fa Tiger's Fang plans in the works? No. <laughs> um, I would love to do another Tiger's Fang. It's just that it's like, it's a lot of work for not a lot of return. It's, it's, a, it's a labor of love, Tiger's Fang. Uh, and I, I love doing it, but they take months to do now. And I just don't have the time. And you know, I know I know it's not about the views, but you know, for example, if we'll do a band geek video, it'll take me like you know, it takes us a couple hours to record it. it takes me a couple hours to mix it and edit it, and then that'll get like you know, fifty thousand views. 
Whereas Tiger's Fang will take us weeks to to film it, months to edit it, and it gets like three thousand views. So it's like diminishing returns, and that's why we stopped. I have I have the whole story planned. I know exactly what happens to all the characters. I have it. I have a script written out for the. I wouldn't do episodes because the reason why we did the short episodes when we first started Tiger's Fang is because when we started it, YouTube had a 10-minute upload limit. You couldn't do more than a 10-minute video. But now it's unlimited to my knowledge, or maybe four hours or something. I don't know. But, um, so, I'll get, I'll get to that in a second, Laura. Um, it, just just write, it, write your, Laura has a tip jar question. Just write it right here and I'll answer that in a second. Thank you for asking um, so yeah, I know everything that happens, I have it, and, and I wouldn't want to do the small, you know, 10-minute episodes, because we don't have to do that anymore, I'd want to do, the next half of it would be just one long movie, um, but I have, like, some lofty ideas that aren't exactly low budget, and I've considered, like, I've toyed with the idea of doing a Kickstarter for that, but two things, I'd be very, uh, heartbroken when we inevitably didn't make the goal, and... I would also be screwed if we did make the goal and then I had to make it. Um, you know, my dream is to is to you know get a backer and go to Hong Kong to some you know movie studio where they're all rigged up for this and just like bang it out over a couple of days because it's I feel like we could do that, but you know that's not going to happen. So anyway, I you know that's one of my dreams to finish that. That's like one of the the things on my list of things I'd like to accomplish, but might not happen. But anyway, thank you for asking about that. Um, okay. Here's another question. I'm going to start winding this down. Um, here's a, here's a fun question from Jay Jun Lee. Um, is that a Rickenbacker 325 I see in your Bohemian Rhapsody video? Um, he's referring to the, the shivers down my spine thing. And I'll, I'll explain. Okay. Yes. The answer is yes. Hold on. Okay. So this. Shit. Whoops. Anyway, this is uh, my Rickenbacker 325, right? Which is one of my favorite guitars. It's very cool. Um, not a Queen guitar, okay? Now this... This is my Queen Brian May guitar, okay? So here's the deal. Um, in the part when it goes... Um, Send shivers down my spine, body's aching all the time. That part, uh, shivers down my spine. Um, on Brian May's guitar, this is just a replica, uh, but not a very good one. But on Brian May's guitar, the bridge is down here, the, or the tailpiece is down here, the bridge is here, and there's a little area where you can pluck behind the bridge. And that's where it gets that, that sort of thing. This guitar doesn't have that. This is, you know, not an exact replica of the Brian May guitar. However... This is the only guitar I own that has that. So for that particular part, I did that. that. So that's why I used this guitar for that video. Thank you for the question. All right. So let's take one more YouTube, if there is one, and one more Facebook.
Okay, here's an... Um, okay, this is an interesting question. Uh, and this is from Jeff Newman. Can the Variax palm mute yet? Um, okay, yeah, I know what you're referring to. And, um, okay, the, a palm mute... This is a palm mute. For those of you who don't know what a palm mute is. That's a palm mute. Um, the Variax can tend to have a little trouble with that. Um, here's how I treat that. The the I can get that sound of the Variax. I have to do it differently. I have to play differently. Sometimes I treat the Variax like it's a different instrument. Um, especially like, okay, instead of trying to look at the Variax and and think, man, this thing isn't doesn't sound the way it's supposed to sound when I play the way I would play on, say, a normal electric guitar or a normal acoustic guitar. I mean, there are limitations to it. It's a phenomenal piece of gear. I love it, and I use it every night. But instead of, you know, getting bummed that it doesn't behave the way my normal guitar does, I focus on saying, this is the piece of gear I have right now. How do I get it to do that? So a lot of the, the thing with the Variax is your picking, I find, and how sensitive you pick it. Um, so yes, it's a bummer that you can't just pick the thing up and palm mute the way you would normally. But I've sort of found a way to adjust the way I'm playing to get the same sound. I mean, in the middle of the vigil, when we do that, I'm full out drop tuned metal, like just doing that. I'm genting, um, but I'm getting that sound. I just have to adjust my playing a little bit. And the other thing is when I'm playing the acoustic part in the beginning of the vigil, I'm picking very lightly because if you pick it too hard, it starts to, you know, ruin the illusion that you're not actually playing an acoustic guitar, you know? So I'm, I'm just basically working within the parameters of that piece of gear to try to get it to sound as good as I can. I'm sure it's going to get even better with updates and, and whatever, but I'm really happy with it now. And I'm, and I've just, you know, just, you know, just like the way I would, the way I think about it is like, you know, I don't play, you don't play the way you play, uh, on a Strat on a Les Paul because they're two different animals. So, I mean, they're still a guitar and the mechanics work the same way most of the time, but I feel like the guitar makes you, pl- it forces you to play a different way. And that's how I treat the Variax. Like, it's a different instrument altogether and I have to understand, you know, what it does. Like, you know, and every one of my guitars has something like that, which is why it's not weird for me. Like, my my Axis, the, the Slime Burst Axis that I play on every gig, that has, there's very little room between the high E string and the edge of the neck, and I'm very conscious of it, and I'm always worrying about, you know, sliding off the edge of the neck, because it happens a lot. But, um, you know, when I'm playing the telly, that's not a problem at all, and I can dig in a little more, and not worry about getting up there and, and hitting things a little harder. So, thank you very much for that question, and let's take one more Facebook question.
Um, for those of you just joining us, I and uh, um, someone just asked a question about this. Uh, uh, Joe Gaetano, I I did talk about the the new album stuff, and the the answer is uh, I I don't really know yet. Um, I just to reiterate, I did answer I answered this earlier in, in the show, but I'll, I'll answer it again since it's a, a coming up quite a bit on the questions. Um, yes, uh, I mean, the, Eric Eric announced that. I don't know anything more than the announcement. It's still being negotiated, but we've been working a lot. So um, we've been focusing on getting through these gigs. The, our summer schedule is very packed. And um, But when I heard that that was a possibility, I got very excited and wrote a bunch of tunes. I wrote like eight tunes uh, to show the guys. I am got a little maybe too excited, but... Um, I, I don't know. You know, we'll see what happens. I really hope I get to contribute in some way. Uh, that would be really awesome. Uh, uh, but we'll see what happens. I'm very, I'm very excited about the possibility and looking forward to doing it. It would be awesome because I never uh, got to really, you know, work on th- that kind of stuff with these guys before. Um, one thing I did do, um, <clears throat> there is something if you feel like digging. Uh, I did get to write a tune with Eric uh, for the game Warhammer Online. Uh, we actually had an assignment from the game makers and the assignment was to make, we, we had to write the song about this character, the Slayer, which is a dwarf who uses an axe and they wanted something in the style of Iron Maiden. So that was really cool and Eric actually, uh, he came over my house and he, and he played this. <laughs> played that for me he was like he goes that's gotta be the intro i said okay and then i had this this like really fast sort of harmonized thing and we put it together and just like that the song was done and uh we played it for the guys from warhammer and they wrote the lyrics for it and it was it was really cool uh so if you want to check out our like not our non uh our non-official uh collaboration official but non-boc collaboration it's called Kiss My Axe, and it's from Warhammer. Um, Laura Sharp wants to know why they didn't hire Iron Maiden. Um, well, because we did it for free, because we were fans of the game. Uh, both of us were playing the game at the time, and uh, we uh, really wanted to go to the headquarters of where they made the game, and we got to, uh, we got to, see, we got to see how they, they make a, uh, an online role-playing game, which was really cool. Um, here's uh, here's another question from Rick Hellinger. I just listened to the 4.0 surround uh, uh, SACD of Secret Treaties. The extra channel really gives the individual elements space to breathe, and I was blown away by Eric singing and Buck's super snarly guitar tone. Is there any chance I could convince Buck to go back to an SG, please? <laughs> um, I know he has one. He has a uh, Gibson made him uh, made him a. Uh, like a, a white SG similar to the one he, he used back in the day. Um, really, it's about being comfortable. I mean, at this point, he's probably played that Steinberger more than he's played the SG. So, I mean, he, he loves that guitar and he, and he just feels at home on that. You know, in the same way that the Red Special is, is Brian May's guitar and he only wants to play that guitar, uh, Buck, I know, only wants to play... That's that Steinberger. He loves it. That's his baby, and that's you know that he just, you know, he just feels completely 
free on that guitar, and I and I get that, you know, I, I that's how I feel on the Axis. I I'd rather play that than everything. Uh, but when I'm home, I I love playing this boy, this uh, this Telecaster. It's just you know a lot of fun for me. You know, I like uh, Brent Mason and guys like that too. So there you go. Uh, but I think uh, <clears throat> I think I'm running out of voice, so I think I'm gonna stop here. Uh, let me see if uh, anything else I missed. Oh, here we go. Laura Sharp Streamlabs says I have to join for 24. Oh, weird. You no, you don't have to join Streamlabs. And uh, let me look into that really quick. You shouldn't. Uh, Laura's asking you about the donation thing. Let me take a look. You know, I'm gonna try the link. The link myself. Um. Okay, basically, you should just see this, uh, yeah, this is weird. No, it's okay. When I'm doing it, I just see this PayPal thing. It just takes you to a PayPal form. You shouldn't have to join to pay anything. No, it's just, it just works on PayPal. So I'm sorry if you're uh, having trouble with that. Um, uh, do me a favor. Private message me, and I'll, I'll help you out with that afterwards. So I, po- I apologize, because a few people have told me they've been having some trouble with the, the Streamlab things. I might put up an alternate thing, because Streamlabs isn't working out. The nice thing about Streamlabs, and the reason I use it, is because while I'm doing one of these shows, if you make a donation, it pops up on the screen, and it's, it's a fun thing. But if it's really a pain in the ass for everybody, I'll consider doing something else. So, um, yeah, sorry about that, Laura. Please private message me and we'll 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 suss that out for you so thank you thank you very much for contributing to the show and that's it um again use our amazon link uh richiecastellano.com slash tip jar if you want to contribute to the show and uh thank you so much for for joining me tonight this was a lot of fun and um to see the, the replay should be up on sunday um and so for those of you who are here and stuck out the whole hour and 15 minutes thank you very much And uh, I'm going to sign off now. I'll see you next time. Thanks for watching.